What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Culture FC, the weekly soccer show where we talk all culturally relevant soccer topics that covers lifestyle, fashion, music, politics, everything happening off the pitch and none of the stuff really happening on it. I'm Alan. Louis is here with me. Brendan is not here with us. He is on a lovely vacation to Denmark with his girlfriend, so we wish him safe travels. He's probably having a lot more fun than we are. <laughs> Hope he remembers to bring us a scarf for our collection. Absolutely. This week, we talked about all things music and soccer. We started the conversation off by talking what some of the World Cup highlight songs have been, what they mean to not only the World Cup, but to the fans who are listening to it, the sport of soccer, and everything revolving that. We also discussed what the importance of fan-driven soccer music has on the sport of soccer, what it means for soccer organizations, for fans, for specific regions, and overall, just what kind of impact music has on the sport of soccer. If you like the podcast, make sure you leave us that five-star review, leave us a positive comment, thumbs up the video if you're watching and not listening, share the podcast with your girlfriend, boyfriend, mother, daughter, sister, brother, whoever it may be that you know that likes the sport of soccer. It really helps us out, grow the channel, grow our podcast, get more relevant information out to you. And lets us know that you, you may like us. If you want more behind the scenes insight on us, follow our Instagram at culturef.c. We post behind the scenes stuff, pictures, videos, quotes, interesting things that you may not get to hear or see in the regular podcast. And if you do like us, you'll do us a favor and check out our clothing line. It's run by us, started by us, designed by us. Check out our Instagram at treblewear, T-R-E-B-L-W-E-A-R. And similarly, check out the website, www.treblewear.com. You can check out all of our clothes, see what we got to offer, and maybe buy a little something for yourself. So that's enough for the intro. Let's get right into the episode. Topics for this week. First topic is Zinedine Zidane resigning after winning the Champions League. And I wanted to get your thoughts on A, why, yep. uh, if it was a good idea, and kind of what it means going forward. Yeah, I I think it definitely is a good idea. And normally you, you think the guy wants to stick with a team that's winning, but there's a lot of things that go behind being a Real Madrid manager, and one of them is kind of like you have to be better than you were the the year before. It's kind of hard to top, first of all, winning three Champions Leagues in a row. That I mean, he, I don't want to say it's impossible for him to do it next year, it, next season again, if he were to stay on. But like the chance of it is so 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 low. Yeah, he has a squad that's built of a lot of guys that are creeping up in age. I mean, Ronaldo, Marcelo. This whole basically whole backline is getting old. Midfielders, all right, but for him, it's kind of boss. He just leaves the team. He's like, oh, I want a Champions League. I'm going to take a little break. Pull the old Pep Guardiola. Um, I think that's a smart decision. Us, but I think the pressures would have been way too high for him next year if he didn't win the Champions League. It's a failure. Um, winning the Spanish League would have been great, but again, it's not the Champions League. So, 
I, I think it was smart on his part. Well, it's funny because he mentions that winning the winning La Liga last year was actually yeah. the highest honor yeah, he could have versus the three Champions League, which yeah. I found very interesting. Yeah, I, I when I read that, I was like, hmm, that's super weird. But at the same time, if you're looking at a League Cup, it kind of reflects your team better overall than a than a tr- um, like a knockout tournament does because you're playing way more games. It shows that you're consistently good over a over like a long span of t- of time versus um, being on a versus good run. Like being on a good run in a tournament. I mean, a tournament is just a completely different game almost. So, um, I think as a coach, you can say like, oh, you get the cha- winning the Champions League is great, but I was able to get my team to perform at a high level for 38 36 games whatever it may yeah. be so i thought that was super interesting too but uh, when i like reflected on what he was saying uh, kind of made sense but still i mean i'd rather win a champions league than a yeah i mean it's, it's he's gonna go down in history as one of the best managers ever even yeah. though like like he he was there for two and a half years he won three champions leagues uh la liga but he's going to go down as not only one of the best Real Madrid players ever, but one of the best managers in the world ever because of that. Do you, and think, do you, th- uh, do you think that this makes this team one of the greatest ever to play club football? I think so, 100%. I think that it, it, you, we say three years in a row, but you got to remember, too, they won one, they've won four in five years. Yeah. So the same, basically the same crew of players that they really haven't switched much since that first Champions League win. Yeah. You know, you still have all the same main players. It's been the same group, you know, pretty consistently throughout. And to win four Champions Leagues out of five, like yeah. you see teams win a Champions League and then the next year barely qualify right. or, you know, miss out on it. You right. know, it's it's this crazy thing. And for them to be able to consistently put that out is, is kind of crazy. Yeah. I think for sure it goes down as one of the be- as one of the best club teams ever. Yeah, I think world. so too. It's it's hard to it's hard to top. I mean, Barcelona fans might disagree, but yeah. I think it's kind of crazy to be alive during this this era when um, we've had a few footballing dynasties with Barcelona when Pep was there, and now with Real Madrid, seeing the, that power shift, especially within these two Spanish c- teams, has been pretty crazy. Well, what's funny is. Two things. One, I think that one of the arguments that people could use against Real Madrid, not that I think it holds much water, is like, oh, they never won a trouble yeah, during this right, five-year right. span. But it's like, okay, yeah, they didn't right, win the trouble, but right. they were able to win four out of five right. Champions Leagues, right. which is already a crazy feat, um, you know, versus Barcelona, who won a trouble, or Inter, who have won a trouble, or Manchester United, yeah. who have won a trouble. Right. So, like, these are all phenomenal club sides that will go down in history. Right. But I still think that this Real Madrid team, the fact that they were able to consistently put out the team that they've been putting out for five years and win four Champions Leagues, yeah. it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but one thing I want to backtrack and, and talk about is uh, when when thinking about all of this and how res- why Zidane resigned now, I think back to midway through the season, people were talking about Real Madrid being washed up. They were saying that they were already over it. They were, right. it was, you know, they had been on a great run and they kind of maybe were getting tired of yeah. all of this and as exemplified by the fact that the first half of the season, people were writing off Cristiano Ronaldo right. already. Like right. They were just like, yeah, no, he's over, he's not yeah. scoring. And then the yeah. man, you know, after a slow start to his season, just turns it up and, yeah. you know, he gets... Uh, isn't he the highest goal scorer in, in Europe, I believe, this I year? I think so. I, um, no, I think he needed the to score in the, Champions, in the League. Champions League to tie Messi at 49, so he's at 48. So, I mean... Sh- yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he was the highest scorer in the Champions League with 15, and then behind him were the attacking trio of Liverpool, with each each had 10, which I found astonishing as well. Yeah, that was um, crazy. Yeah, 
No, I mean it's 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 again it's that thing with like the tournament aspect of of the Champions League. You could it gets a t- totally different game, maybe suited their style of play better versus yeah. doing that over the long run. Right, and I mean that's yeah, it's a it's a very interesting thing to think about, right? Because Barcelona almost went undefeated. They lost the last <laughs> game of the season by one goal. And that's an incredible feat for right. any club side. You know what right. I mean? For them to have almost become an invincible side, right. that would have been crazy too. So yeah. it's like, you know, I think that Zidane resigning when he did was probably the best move yeah. because he probably saw his squad in decline. You had both Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale publicly saying yeah. that they wanted to leave yeah. minutes after they won the right. Champions League. So it's like, clearly that's, not, yeah, <laughs> clearly that's not a great sign. Yeah. You know, when you have two of your best players come on and be like, yeah, I don't think yeah, I'll be here. not sure. Yeah. So... For Zidane to be like, I'm out, is, was it probably probably the best time? Because I mean, for you to go out on a high, he didn't. He has never had a single low in his Real Madrid right. coaching career. Right. You know what I mean? Even as an assistant under Ancelotti, they he never Zidane will go down as like the most perfect Real Madrid manager only because he didn't stay there long enough. Right. Had he stayed another two years, they would have something to bitch about. Right. It'll be interesting. Two things to see where he ends up if he ever does come back, um, and to see who Real Madrid bring in next. So, I. Let's answer that question. Where do you think Zidane goes next? I personally think he's going to coach the national, French national team. Um, I, th- he seems like a very patriotic guy yeah. to me, and he, it seems like the natural progression for him. Like he's done it all at club level, even though it is with one team. He's kind of achieved everything he's had to achieve with his kind of lifelong love of a club. N- now I think he wants to kind of prove it at an international level, which is a whole different stage. And it, uh, I think I think that's his next move. And uh, France, I will say, have a horrible coach now in Deschamps. So um, I think they will give him the boot following this World Cup, whether they win it or not. And they'll bring in the, the high-profile manager in Zidane. Well, I think you make a good point. You know, Zidane has won everything. Right. At, like, I, I just sat here and thought about, like, okay, so he's won a, okay, he's won a Euros. Yep. World Cup, check. Champions League as a player, check. Yep. Champions League as a manager, check. Yep. La Liga as a manager, check. La Liga as a player, check like all these things yeah. he's checked every box the right. only thing that he's l- honestly the only thing he's missing is a world cup as, as a, a manager. Cu- yeah as so a, it's as like a i think that's probably the most logical next step for zidane um i agree with you i don't think deschamps is the is the right coach i was watching a video that was going over the french lineup for the world cup and the the french team is amazing left and right they have players at every position that are astounding players like you know they have probably some of the best midfielders some of the best forwards they have squad depth up the wazoo in yeah. other words everything that you possibly need to win a major major tournament they have so then you keep thinking about what's the missing piece what's the missing piece you kind of have to start looking at the coach at some right. points because when you have a squad loaded with talent from top to bottom at every yeah. position yet okay sure they made the euro 2016 final but they didn't show up for the final right you know they didn't right. play very well right. they were beaten by a by what most people consider a pretty poor Portugal side yeah, that yeah. didn't even have Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I think depending on how France do this World Cup, I think Zidane would probably be the best, absolute best choice yeah. to, to bring in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will see. I mean, it's, we're, I, I, we won't find out until, I think, post-World Cup. Yeah. He's in no rush. What's right. the point of deciding? Yeah. He, he could take a year off. Yeah, he could go do the... You know, he can go do whatever he wants, yeah. hang out for a while. Yeah, do the Pep Guardiola, yeah. just relax. Do you think he ever goes to, say, Germany or or England? He's still young. He's only he is, 45, I think 50, something So like it, it depends on what happens with with his inter- If Okay, so if the progression is he does go to international, um, I think he'll stay there for uh, a, a cycle, a yeah. four-year cycle, win or lose a World Cup, see what happens there. 
if they win a World Cup, I honestly see him just retiring, <laughs> just being <laughs> done. Right, it's up. like I've checked out, <laughs> I've done it all. There's no point. And like I, there's just he's he's reached every high as a as a in the sport. <laughs> yeah. So I don't see him really continuing on. What but you, what do you do if he loses it? I mean, maybe he goes and he kind of wants to do something um, in the footballing world still and manages yeah. another club. Um, I don't know. It's a tough. Uh, he's he's like a very interesting figure to me. So I, I think he really does look like he would be he'd be done after he's accomplished everything and um, go from there. But I don't know. I mean, it's like that legacy thing, right? It's like you go out on a high. Right. There's like that's the best yeah. you can do. Yeah. Like if you stay a little bit too long, you get bashed. Right. It will be interesting to see what, what happens with Real Madrid as a whole, though. With Zidane leaving, Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale publicly both stating that they're not sure that yeah. they're going to stick around. I wonder if this whole team just blows up and Real Madrid yeah. falls by the wayside for a couple years. Yeah, I mean, what comes up must come down, right? Yeah. So eventually they are going to have to hit a slump again. Yeah. Um, but knowing Real Madrid, it doesn't last very long. Yeah, <laughs> considering they always have yeah. the money to spend. So. Right. But okay, moving on, I'm going to bring up my topic now. And Colin Coward, he's uh, uh, hosts a radio show on Fox Sports, uh, Fox Sports Network. He came out with his top ten most famous athletes, sports athletes in the world. And let's just say that the list is pretty interesting. I'm going to read it off to you, and I'm going to want to kind of hear your your ideas on it. Number one, Tom Brady. The most fa- this is the most this famous athlete. most famous athletes according to Colin. Tom Brady, number one. Two, LeBron James. Three, Tiger Woods. Four, Steph Curry. Five, Cristiano Ronaldo. Six, Messi. Seven, Aaron Rodgers. Eight, Serena Williams. Nine, Floyd Money Mayweather. Ten, Roger Federer. So quickly with like feedback, like wh- what do you think about that list? Initial thoughts. Initial I thoughts. I think that it's the most sheltered American <laughs> view on sports I've ever heard because you can't tell me that like okay i get it we live in a world where there's the internet twitter instagram facebook you're connected to the stuff all the time yeah so i'm not saying there aren't fans of lebron in say china or france or wherever it may be but first of all for you to even quantify the the global impact that cristiano ronaldo and messi have and not put them number one and number two on your list is already absurd the fact that neymar's on not on that list is yeah, already absurd to i me. thought that as well um, because he is, they already said that he's the most marketable soccer player on one of the, one of the most marketable athletes in the world, and probably the most marketable soccer player right now. Yeah. So it's like, that's already wrong. I mean, no one cares about American football outside outside of Americans. Right. I mean, sure, we we we're we love it so much that like I get why you want to sit. And look, I'm I'm sitting here. I own you know a Tom Brady shirt. I'm a very big Patriots fan. You know, I, I love the Patriots. Right, it's not biased. It's not biased. Right. I'm just telling you that. There's no way in hell that Tom Brady is more famous than either Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. Could you give me a top five? I don't want to make you do a top ten unless you want to, but give me a top five. Mm, what I think is, you know what's funny, though? The fact that Roger Federer comes in at ten is already absurd because uh, he's uh, super famous. Honestly, too. I can understand almost all of these. Aaron Rodgers being at number seven is freaking crazy, man. That's absurd. And look, and I don't want to, qua- like, I don't. I don't want to use stats, but, but I'm going to kind of use stats. And uh, my stat here is going to be Instagram followers because it's like the one thing that everyone has and it's a platform. I think that's a fair metric. Okay. Tom Brady, 4.1 million. Okay. Cristiano Ronaldo, 127 million. This is followers. Messi, 92.3. Neymar, 93.8. LeBron James, 37.9. Serena Williams, 8.3. Aaron Rodgers, 
not even at a million followers. He's at 837,000 followers. For him to be on the list with these people is amazing and of that course Colin would think that. We should we should also, you know, make a disclaimer. We don't know when these people joined Instagram. But right. even so, yeah. it, the numbers are so vastly different that oh my you gosh. can't, you, I don't know, man, you can't tell me that LeBron James is more famous than Cristiano Ronaldo. No. Like, I, there's... I would put LeBron James in my top five. Sure. For sure. For sure. I, th- I think my top five would be something like Ronaldo, Neymar, Messi, LeBron. I want to say that... Uh, probably Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods at five. Because uh, even though Tiger Woods has gone through a lot of iffy stuff in the, in the last, rec- I mean, in the recent years, he's still a guy that has so much power in sports. Like his name is, I mean, just synonymous with greatness, and like his numbers speak for themselves. I think I'd put him in my top five for sure. I wouldn't have one NFL player in my top. No, I'm trying to probably top twenty-five. I would. I think there are like a million soccer players out there that are more famous yeah. and have more of a global impact. Um, than any NFL player does. I think the only NFL player I'd keep in my top 20 would be Tom Brady, but it would be like a 90. I don't even know if I'd, it, like, in terms of famous, I don't even know if I'd, I, maybe Odell Beckham is more f- popular than OBJ him. OBJ is. He's yeah. all over the sports world. I mean, he's hanging out with Neymar, The he's the hanging out with Alaba, so I feel like he has more of a reach than Tom Brady does. Yeah. Like, it, um, I don't want to think of it in terms of how good you are at the sport. No, it's that, not, yeah, it's not. But, a, like, Odell Beckham, I feel like, has more of a following in, in general than... Yeah. Anyone in the NFL. Yeah. I, I think it's such a funny thing to think about because I, I think it's almost even skewed. Like, I don't even know if you can make a top five list with anybody other than soccer yeah, players. I, I think that a top five list of most famous athletes in the world will probably include four soccer players and maybe Roger Federer. I don't know. That's my thought process yeah. on that. And I think that, okay, even if you were to pick only one player from each sport, I still don't think the NFL makes it into the top five. Yeah. I think that you would go, if you had to pick someone for soccer... It's a toss-up to me between Messi and Cristiano. Yeah, you know what I mean? right, you right. Pick whichever think, one you pick, yeah. I don't think it matters. Yeah. And then you go into, you know, it's just, it's so difficult. I, it's Tennis difficult has thing. two stars, right? Serena Williams and, and Roger Federer. Even Nadal, I'd yep, take Nadal. You have, you have Nadal. Golf with Tiger Woods. Yep. Um, basketball, LeBron James, obviously. Yep. And we also think, like, a lot of the a lot of the Instagram doesn't account for the Asian markets. Like, yep. Basketball is huge in the Asian market, so even honestly, James Harden, who's huge in in, in Asia, like well, that's because he plays for the Rockets. Right. And Yao Ming made right. the Rockets so super famous like, in China. Yeah, even even um, yeah, Harden. I James Harden being uh, you know on that list too. It's it's just such a funny. Going back to the original uh, source here, it's like it's such a funny American sports topic to think like, yeah, the world cares so much more about football and yes and it's like no they don't don't like i just wish people would step out of their little sheltered world and realize like how big the world really is you got seven point whatever billion people on this planet like majority of them watch soccer yeah how many of them really watch american football right you know what i mean like in terms of global popularity soccer is the most popular sport in the the planet and then right below that is basketball right but it's like the gap is huge yeah you know what i mean so it's like yeah, now it's funny because they tweeted out this this top ten, and the comments you can imagine are just hilarious. Oh, like people are like, "Who is Aaron <laughs> Rodgers?" Like just like <laughs> crazy, crazy tweets. I think it's just oh, so man. funny. I don't even think Aaron Rodgers is top five most famous NFL players. I, yeah, I, bu- I I don't th- I don't think he's like top twenty in the NFL. Honestly, like there are so many guys with just like big names, like celebrity status versus so you got like JJ Watt, players. Tom Brady, like all these other players that. <sighs> 
Aaron, it's just so funny to see him <laughs> on the like a list of top ten oh, most famous man. athletes in the world. Uh, yeah, that's no. well. Hopefully, Colin Cowherd uh, figures out what he's talking about. <laughs> at some point I hope he got chastised for this, like oh, yeah. in the studio. But so moving on to our third topic, uh, the MLS has awarded FC Cincinnati the next MLS franchise. Yep. So this has been pretty telegraphed for the past few months. They've they've been in constant uh, talk and they've been basically been trying to since their inception their goal has been to make it into the MLS and they have actually been one of the most well supported USL sides over the past um, couple of years and we've seen this trend with other USL teams that have been promoted to the MLS right yep. um, in terms of Orlando City very well supported when they were in the USL uh, Nashville super well supported in the, uh, the USL and then you also have, I'm blanking on it, but it's been a trend that's been emerging right. over over a while. And, you know, they were able to get the bid because they finally got a stadium plan for downtown Cincinnati. And their fans have just been crazy. So I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, what you think, I guess, on... Uh, Kind of, I guess, like what you think about Cincinnati getting it. Yeah. Is it a good market? Do you think it's going to succeed there? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So I actually have a, a buddy who is from that area, uh, went to college with him, and he was so pumped up about it. I mean, like, they're real sports fans uh, over there. Like, they are, they really get behind um, th- their sports teams. I was watching their kind of un- like reveal video for them being um, granted at. Access, not access into the MLS, but them being awarded the MLS. Um, whenever Team USA plays there, it's f- it's one of the best kind of like most supported um, games w- in the US in a US state or city. I think it's going to be great. Like it's one, it's like one of those places where you're like, why why would they have such um, rich his not history but rich support. I think it's just one of those places that like really gets behind um, sports in general. So I'm I'm pretty pumped to see it. I think it's cool. Um, I'm not a big fan of their colors. <laughs> I don't know if they're really? sticking with the like the blue and orange. I don't. I, I do. I hate it. I, I do not. I will not get behind them if that's their their <laughs> colors. Well, you know what it is. I think that uh, I actually have this weird thing where. I look at a lot of soccer clubs and I'm like, yo, y'all all have kind of the same colors. <laughs> so, for example, when you have like, when Seattle first came on the scene and they were like lime green, yeah. and you're, they were like one of the only clubs that yeah. like, played in like a lime yeah, yeah. green. I was like, oh, that's cool, that's yeah. different. Make yourself stand out. But then you have, you know, but you have like every club in the world is either blue, red, red or whatever it is. But then I actually like the fact that like Cincinnati, they are blue and orange, like uh, these two ghastly, yeah, weird, interesting colors. They work as colors, but I don't know. I think it's the it just not does not please me. I don't like. I think of Boise State when I think of that color, oh, and then I, I think of yeah. their field, and then yeah. I'm just like overload of colors. Well, right? so the rendering for the stadium, or several of the renderings that have been kind of popping up for FC Cincinnati's future stadium, they have the outside uh, basically similar how the Allianz. In Germany, yeah. they change colors. Yeah. But for Cincinnati, the outside is going to be lit bright orange. Oh, wow. So it looks yeah. like yeah. it's an astonishing like, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing to see. Yeah. I think that a lot of times the impact that you, you have right. when you experience right. this kind of stuff, yeah. it's going to be crazy. You're walking yeah. up to the stadium. It's just this like orange yeah. lit yeah, yeah, yeah. stadium. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be really, really cool. 
Um, I just think that, like, with soccer, you have to have an identity. You have yeah. to, like, craft not only, you know, your history, but also have an identity. Crests matter a lot. Yeah. Colors matter a lot. And I think that, you know, their colors aren't for everybody. But I think that if it's something that makes them wholesome them, like, it's a very, you know, true to them, I think it's a phenomenal thing. I don't know. You, I wouldn't, don't you wouldn't happen to know the significance of orange for them, would you? I don't actually. I have no idea why they picked orange. The, well, bangle, actually, the, the Bengals, Bengals are, are orange. orange and black, right? So yeah. I'm thinking maybe there's some theme with the orange, but I don't know. I thought maybe you'd know. Oh, it could be a thing. I'll look that up. Yeah. Post show. So one thing I wanted to bring up is so FC Cincinnati coming into Ohio to play, and on the same si- uh, on the flip side of this, you have all the issues surrounding the Columbus Crew. Yeah. You know they this season they're down in attendance by a lot, and yeah. so a lot of people have been calling. Uh, Columbus Crew supporters out on the internet being like, hey, like, you guys complain and bitch about how the team's moving, to, might be moving to Austin, but you guys don't even pack your own stadium yeah. anymore. So it's this weird contrast where you have FC Cincinnati moving into a, a similar market to yeah. where Columbus existed, yet for some reason it seems like FC Cincinnati is, you know, they're averaging 20, like, I think close to 20,000 people at every yep. game, and this is for the USL, right. versus the Columbus Crew, who have a soccer-specific stadium in Columbus, it's downtown, yet I think they're pulling in 7,000 people yeah. a game, so it's like, I don't know why the difference is there. Yeah, it's one of those things that's like uh, small cultural differences that are like hard to pinpoint makes such a difference for why people get behind a, a, a sports team. I, I don't I don't know the psychology behind it, but it, it is super weird. I mean, they're in, like, they're neighbors, basically. Basically, you know they're I mean? not far. Right, so it's interesting to see how one can be so well-supported and the other not. I, I have no idea why that would be the case, but it, it is, it is like, something that people should research or something. Yeah, because and I think it's, it's something that people should keep an eye on because I yeah. think a lot of it comes down to, like, I feel like FC Cincinnati, they made their fans feel welcome and part of something. Yeah. And then with Columbus, the owner's kind of like, all right, y'all, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's that the involving fans, right, making yeah. fans feel like they are part of, of something greater than just a, a team. So just last thoughts on this. I mean, so the MLS has, been, has said that they want to get up to 28 teams yeah. by, uh, I think, 2020, if I'm not mistaken. So as of right now, they have 24 announced teams, you know, three of them being that they haven't even played yet, yeah. you know. Cincinnati, Miami, and Nashville. Um, what are your thoughts on going up to 28 teams? Do you think it's where it's at? Do you think it's a good idea? Yeah, it's a good number. I think the, the U.S. is so big that they do kind of deserve to have a more spread out, um, diverse kind of set of teams. Um, it's nice to see the league kind of grow from being a small league. You, you never want to think of a league as being so like a tiny little league with only a few teams. It, it, it shows that there really is interest, um, especially as you look at some of the, the locations that, that stadiums are being built. And it shows that di- the diversity of the U.S. still really cultivates love for the game. Um, so I, I think that that's a good number. I mean, it's it seems like fairly standard uh, for a league size, you know. Um, especially in the U.S. I yeah. Mean, I I think that you're the, the the point of it being such a big country. I think we do like the top. If they ever end up putting like a promotion relegation, I think that whatever, whenever, if that ever happens, I think the top flight should still have about thirty yeah. teams, just because of how big the United right. States is. Right. You know what I mean? I, it's very different than England. Yeah, the England I, they have you know thousands of teams, right. but the top flight has twenty. But right. you know, the country is right. not very right. big. Yeah. But in the U.S., you have you know, one of the biggest countries in the world, right. you can support yeah. about th- 28, 30 right. teams and have right. everybody be happy. Right, absolutely. I think that it, it'll, that, that'll, that'll cover more of the kind of general everyone in the US, U.S. once you get up to that 30-team range. So it'll be good to see, I think. Um, 
we as fans kind of want that. You never want to see a small league, I don't think. But, um, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's also interesting that they're, they're finally starting to sort of double up, quote-unquote, on markets. So, you know, you have Columbus. Yeah. Or some people might say, hey, maybe they already know that Columbus is going yeah. moving to Austin, so hey, like, let's put let's something replace in Ohio. Something, yeah, right. So that's another thing to think about, too. But, but all right, uh, moving on to this week's main topic. This week we wanted to talk about music and its impact on soccer and the reason why is the official world cup song was released this week um it's by will smith nikki jam and uh, i forget i don't know her the name last it's a it's a singer i forget her name but it was released this week it's a it's a okay song yeah i didn't like it as much as doesn't follow my top five world cup yeah. songs i don't think um but we wanted to basically talk about it in terms of its impact on the game, why music is so important to soccer, because usually you don't necessarily think about it. You, yeah. know, you think about a sporting event, it is what it is. But, you know, music does play a huge role, especially when it comes to the World Cup. You know, I think about, to me, the by far the best World Cup song will always be Waka Waka right, for 2010. That is the song that I think of when I think of the World Cup yep. songs. And I think that... The what I loved about that song is that you have a Colombian singer in Shakira who brought in African influences right. to create an absolute jam of a yeah. song for the world first World Cup that was held in Africa. So it's like that's the kind of the I think that whoever organized all this, if it was FIFA, whoever it was, they did right. a great job because the World Cup is something that brings so many people together, brings so many cultures together that for them to be like, all right, well, so we need a World Cup song. How are we going to do this? All right, let's grab Shakira, one of the most famous singers artists ever yeah and let's have her create a song that embodies so many different aspects of of culture right. to make a song right yeah that song really has a lot of meaning for me because i was there for the 2010 world cup in south africa so when i think of that song it really brings me back to kind of that experience but even so like you talk to people who watch that world cup like that song is just ingrained in 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 their minds like that Everybody knows that, like the waka waka, uh, uh, you know, he understands that what that beat means and like immediately associates it with the World Cup. So that goes to show that like, I, I think that obviously these songs are a big marketing scheme, <laughs> not a scheme, but they, they kind of, they're a way to bring people in in the sport a little bit more, but it works so well, right? When the song is executed properly, um, the, the, uh, this, this song, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it'll do so well, but these songs really kind of attract people and especially during a season where you kind of want all the eyes on on your sport they can really attract like what is this song for like how does this blah 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 gets people interested and gets people interested not only in the sport but the culture and the references that are being made in the songs right and i think that uh, even though it is a marketing tactic in a way and it's it's i think it's more meant to kind of mark an event right? right it's supposed to be this uh anthem for an event right. so that every time you hear it you're brought back to right. that particular moment right. and if i ever hear that song the first thing i think of is soccer second thing i think of is the 2010 world cup right. it's just like oh instantly right. you think about that and that's i think maybe just how humans work right. like you hear it's like when you have you know you smell something from right. your childhood all right. of a sudden it brings you back right. same things like if you hear a song it brings you back and i think that you know it's 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 powerful having Absolutely. those emotions be attached to it and I think that that was probably the most well-executed World Cup song versus, you know, you also had the 2014 World Cup song with Pitbull, which was, 
Eh. Yeah, again, it wasn't yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like my. I just think that nothing has pa- nothing has beat in Waka Waka yet. Yeah, but I mean, I do think that. But when you hear, you know, we, we are one, which was the official World Cup song of 2014, even though it was sung by Pitbull, which I just never understood, yeah, Mr. Worldwide, Mr. Worldwide, it, it still does sort of bring me back to the 2014 yeah. World Cup to an extent, right. not as much as say Waka Waka but does for 2010. But this new song, it just doesn't scream soccer to me. It doesn't really scream like... Because uh, the, the usually in these songs, some of the themes are coming together culturally or about the sport. And I don't think that this new song, which uh, we keep referring to as this new song, but it's called... What is the... I don't even know if... Oh, Live It Up is the name of the song. Yeah. And it's... It seems more like an anthem that you might hear on the radio to just like, yeah. you know, live today, yeah. today is yeah, the day, yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. But, you know, at least these other songs, in Waka Waka, it was bringing in African influences and, yeah. you know, using some of the, like, like the Vuvuzela is in the song. Right. So it's like bringing you back right. to the 2010 World Cup. And then the 2014 World Cup, it's about, you know, we are one, come together, we're all celebrating one one event, which is, you know, along the same right. lines. But then, you know, with Live It Up, it's really just kind of like... um live it up yeah. you know like let's do our best, i just think I of it guess. more as like a hype man song like you just want to kind of get the crowd excited but it doesn't really do do justice in unifying the the fans of the sport right and i will be honest with you i don't think there's any russian influence not that <laughs> i would even know what that yeah, would yeah. like but you know taking at least shots of vodka in <laughs> 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 but it just seems that with this new song, it's just like, you know what? Let's just grab three random, random, random artists. Will Smith. Will like, Smith when was the last time he did a song? No, jeez. He just came out of nowhere. And then, you, I mean, you got Nicky Jam, which is a yeah. you know, pretty popular, right. right, up and coming, I guess. I don't want to call him up and coming. He's been around for a yeah. while, but he started to maybe hit, like, that final level of, like, more mainstream markets. More mainstream. Yep. And then you have, uh, her name is Era Istrefi. No idea where she's no, from. No idea where she came from. And it's just like, I, d- I think that they were just like crap. We got we need a song. What yeah. are we gonna do? Yeah. All right, let's call up three random people. All right, who do you got? Will Smith. Oh, he still makes music. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, let's <laughs> bring him in. You know, it's <laughs> like I, I don't get it, it, but it's also interesting to point out that um, you may be thinking, well, you guys, uh, a few episodes back, you brought up a Jason Derulo World Cup song. Well, what's interesting is that Coca Cola also always comes out with a World Cup song. And Jason Derulo was their artist for the f- for their World Cup song. So there are usually two s- World Cup songs that fly around: one that is FIFA sponsored and one that is Coca Cola sponsored. The Jason Derulo song again is another one that's just f- very awful. far from from the mark of being like captivating. But here's the thing: um, in the Jason Derulo song "Colors," it actually talks more about like your flag and yeah. your 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 culture, your heritage. They tried. They tried something. Yeah, but absolutely. Then you know, live it up. It's just like a, like you said, a hype man yeah. song, and it doesn't remind. It doesn't bring. It doesn't call to mind memories or, or, or thoughts about soccer. It just you know brings me to all right. It's just a hype man yeah. song with three random people, and the Jason Derulo one. They did try it. Of course, I don't think they succeeded very yeah. well because I also don't think Jason Derulo yeah. should have been involved. Yeah. But they tried more to yeah. incorporate more cultural uh, aspects of it, I guess. Yeah, and so. I don't know if it, I also just haven't been hearing either song very much. I don't feel like in past World Cups. I don't know if it was because maybe I was watching more TV and kind of during like Sports Center coverage of the World Cup, they would play these songs a lot. But I I don't know about you, but personally, I haven't really heard these songs much. Right, I haven't heard of it either. I, I mean, my initial gut reaction to that would be that maybe that today so in 2018, yeah. everybody is so. 
uh, out there yeah. with how they listen to music. Yeah. You're listening. You're not, not many people listen to the radio still. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, it's like, maybe I haven't even seen anything on Spotify, right. which is like, you would think like, yeah, oh, they wow, have a World Cup event, play, yes. Yeah. Let's make a World Cup playlist right. or something like that. I mean, of course, we're still about two weeks out, so yeah. you know, it's maybe still slowly mm, yeah, coming right. up. But, you know, we'll have to see how this song impacts this World Cup. Yeah. It, it's. I think it's going to be a thing that, like you said, when we're watching the World Cup, it might be played in between commercials, or, yeah. or I'm sorry, in, in commercials and in between games and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see the impact that this song has on this World Cup. But... Um, where I wanted to take this next bit is just outside of World Cup anthems to talk about how, you know, I wanted to bring up, you know, the Champions League anthem, yeah. right? This is a song that was created specifically for the Champions League that any time I even hear maybe, you know, two seconds of yeah. it, it brings instant memories of the Champions League, of soccer, and it gives me goosebumps because you're just like, all right, this is the song that yeah. is soccer like distilled yeah despite the fact that i don't know where they're saying it's just yeah. a bunch of like like yeah it sounds like yeah like chorusy but like who knows what's actually being said yeah but it's just it brings I, I, it's that whole emotional aspect it's these songs were created to mark an event right. but what it ends up happening is it creates an emotional connection with the sport and it ends up almost like elevating it because i think that and if you ever were to watch a champion the way i compare it is if you watch a europa league game with a champions league game you can see the difference in the effect that the Champions League anthem has because they actually sing that anthem in the stadium yeah. over the speakers yeah. before they do national anthems yeah. for each side. So it's like, you know, it really marks the game. And I don't I, I don't think they do that in the Europa League. And yeah. even if they did, it would just be like a cheap knockoff yeah. in a way. Yeah. So it's like y- it adds a little bit of prestige yeah, to the tournament. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, like, it gives the, the tournament a sense of real, like, royalty almost yeah. like winning that really does does mean something it like almost elevates it from like a regular sporting event to like this like this massive massive right like it sets a tone i mean just like what music does for for movies right music is so important in, mu- in, in movies you can set suspense happiness whatever whatever message you're trying to convey and with with these songs you can, you're doing the same thing um the champions league did an amazing job with that anthem to kind of set it apart from any club tournament in the world i think that song plays such an important role in that because it does make it feel super royal and regal and um it's, it's amazing like you said what that can do just listening to two seconds of it you automatically know you know what what it's about but you just get this this tingling sensation of like damn champions league it's back it's it's a very exciting feeling it's almost like a gateway back into your emotions right just like as soon as you hear it your mindset changes to oh man it's going to be an amazing game even if it's like two random random teams in the champions league you still like you hear that song and it brings back these emotions it sets the stage for this grand grand event versus if they didn't do that it would just be another soccer match right you know it's a i think that it's it's super interesting because uh, going back to when I said that these things are marketing or they're kind of like marketing schemes but they're also much more important than that in the sense that they bring together fans of different teams, clubs, nations to all kind of believe in one thing is that we are all soccer fans, right? I think that when you hear these songs that become popular, the Champions League song, you automatically, I mean, if I'm singing it, you're singing it, the next guy's singing it, we're all supporting different clubs but we all know like this is we love this sport um so there is much more i mean they are trying to convey this message of like hey we're all behind this sport and we want this song to kind of represent that yeah i think that 
it, it's it's really interesting to think that you know you have people who watch the Champions League in in South America, in Europe, in North America, in everywhere across the world, and for everybody who comes from so many, for all these people who come from different cultural backgrounds to be able to hear the same song and have a very similar reaction <laughs> is is phenomenal, and, and right. it just adds, like we said, more prestige to the tournament, and it makes. I think that might be one of the reasons why you know it's such it's so it's held in such high regard. It, they, they, you know, of course, it's not just the music; it's everything that goes into it. But right. the music is very because it plays so directly into your senses. It really, really captures emotion. Right. That's that's how you captivate people with sport. It's right. through emotion, and if it's you know. Soccer is already emotional as it is with, uh, you know, last-minute winners or a last-ditch tackle, goal-line clearances. These are all emotional things, but to add another layer on top right. just, you know, boosts it so much. Right. And you're thinking about, like, cultural relevance. Like, how many things on the internet have you seen where people are, are like, maybe the, the Champions League song plays at a wedding, right? I've seen um, funny instances where people... Um, now this is becoming a trend you get tattoos of like uh sound waves and then if you like take a there's an app that i guess you take a picture it'll play the song oh, wow. people have gotten the tattoo of sound waves of the champions league oh, you know nice. so it goes to show that these things become much more than just for the tournament they actually have real cultural significance to people right um, which i find amazing because like you're taking something that's supposed to be behind this tournament but now it's become um the song that gets played in memes and soccer videos, a, a million YouTube videos, it, this and that. It, I, I find that to be one of the most fascinating things behind kind of the power of music and what it, it does for the sport. Definitely. And I mean, it's like, if you think about it, it's the same effect that you have with the national anthem. Any American who hears the national anthem, everybody stands right. up. You know, it, a lot of times, like, at least, f you know, a lot of times it seems like I've been at sporting events where people have been kind of assholes and been talking during the national anthem yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But at the same time, you know, it's a very similar aspect, right? You hear the national anthem come on, you're going to stand up, right. take your hat off. It, it's an emotional experience. Right. And it's, it's, it's interesting how that can be translated from, you know, these songs aren't for a specific nation in particular, but they are for an event or for something that we hold in such high regard, like right. the World Cup. Right. Um, you know, despite the fact that I haven't lived in Brazil since I was a kid, anytime I hear the Brazilian national anthem, yeah. I get goosebumps. Right. I'm ready for it. Like, I, right. I, you know, I'm about my country. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's cool that that can step outside of just representing a country, but to represent a sport, represent an event is really right. cool too. Yeah. Would you like to see kind of a similar anthem be made for the, for the World Cup? And have it be played just over every one. single... Right. Um, Do you think it makes sense? I don't think so. Because the the World Cup should, because of the nature of the World Cup, I don't think so. I think that the Champions League, that anthem fits really well because it's it's not it's always the same countries that are participating in the Champions League, and it's always in Europe, and it very much envelops a a set standard of what they're doing versus the World Cup is very fluid. Every four years, the World Cup is different. And I think that's what sets the World Cup apart from regular competitions yeah. that have every happen every year. Absolutely. It's because because it happens every four years, it's it's an event. It's it's this, um, you know, really, truly global event, and it's held in already such high regard because yeah. it's only four years. I think that, and on top of it being so held only for every four years, but also because you're bringing in different aspects every time. So, for example, the 2010 World Cup, first World Cup held in Africa, I think they did an amazing job, like I already said, about creating an anthem for that World Cup. Right. 
And so then the next year when you go into or the next World Cup, when you go into you go into Brazil, I think they actually could have played a little bit more on the Brazilian right. aspect yep, of it for the anthem, which yep. I think they missed out on. Yeah. And especially this year with the 2018 World Cup, there's as far as I can tell, zero Russian yeah. influence on it. Yeah. I actually think they just need to do a better job with these anthems yeah. because they're so important yeah. and they do get like they get like etched into your mind. Right. Anytime I mean, they become it. synonymous with with the World Cup. Right. I think that. I would love to see it be different every four years, but I think that it needs to be held in the utmost highest right. regard, and they really have to hit it out of the park every time, which I know is difficult. Es- but especially if you have four years to work on it. Yeah, you know, I mean, we know that the country's coming up. Like you have, uh, you can make decisions pretty far in advance, and and obviously it's artist dependent. But you can, you definitely have a lot of time to go through different iterations of the right. song and make sure you're really hitting the nail um, on the head and and re- sampling a little bit of culture from these countries. Well, so my, my thought process going back to your question right now is, you know, the Champions League anthem is played before the national anthems for any, or after the national anthems for, I don't, do they even sing national anthems in the Champions League? Nah, I, I don't know. If, if they do, I'm not sure because like, I think they, they cut out, they cut out, um, they don't yeah. really show that part. I don't, uh, no, I don't think so. I, I know in the Libertadores they play the, the anthems of the the countries playing, but I'm not sure if that's the same um, f- the for the for the Champions League. Yeah, I actually don't think so either. Now that I think about it, but I, yeah, I guess it might be too much singing. Yeah. if they were to do in a World Cup. Okay, so Brazil's playing Germany. We're gonna do yeah. the Brazil national the, the national anthem and the German national anthem, and then we're gonna sing the f- the World Cup national yeah. anthem. Yeah. Um, I actually think that weirdly in a World Cup, the national anthems take on the same kind of rule as the Champions League anthem does yeah. in Champions Leagues because, you know, if you're supporting your club, or I'm sorry, if you're supporting your country, you're from that country, you know the anthem, yeah. you know, and for you, it's like almost like a battle cry for right. that Absolutely. team. Absolutely. So it's an interesting topic. I just think uh, it's an interesting idea. I just think that they need to really hit it out of the park every four years because right. it's an important thing. Absolutely. You know? No, I agree. I think that... Maybe next, maybe in the next World Cup, <laughs> they'll do a little better job of. Um, well, I think the next World Cup will be <laughs> marred with plenty of other issues. Yeah, well, that, that, th- that's I think they need to do a good job then to um, try to mitigate those disasters. Yeah, <laughs> at least cover <laughs> up a little bit of the <laughs> no, bad things sure. happening. For sure. Um, but moving on from like the anthem aspect of it, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, music as a whole, yeah. right? A- and. Um, where we see music really in soccer is a lot of in the fan chants, Absolutely. especially in the English Premier League. And um, and it's th- a lot of times what happens is these these supporters will come together, pick a famous song that pretty much everybody knows and change the words yep. and create chants. You right. know, if you're a Manchester United supporter, you know, like the gigs, like gigs will tear you apart mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. It's like that. It's a, it's from uh, a, a Joy Division song, mm-hmm. which is like love will tear you apart. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times you, you're, you're getting these super famous songs that are being adapted to uh, these chants, these singing during the game. And I wanted to get uh, your perspective as to why they use popular songs yeah. instead of just kind of like making up their own. Yeah, I think... Uh, um when you're getting a popular song, you get the benefit of everybody knowing the melody to it. So th- when, when you're coming up with a chant, it normally is pretty, um, how do you say it, on the on the spot. You're coming up with a chant, everybody knows the tune. It's pretty easy to then just come up with words that kind of fit into that pretty well. So it, And when you have a popular song, you know everybody likes that tune. So they're more, in t- they're more in ter- um, 
more adept to getting behind it when it's being sung in a stadium. Right. I um, think. Yeah, I, I think that that does that bodes really well because then you don't have. Also, you you don't know if your fans are really musically ad- adept, <laughs> right? So if they're going to be coming up with their own little melodies, they might not come out so yeah. well. So having a tune that they can lay a, a fun, the, that that is the foundation for their chants really helps them just kind of figure out the words, figure out some s- funny sayings to, to come up with and, and go from there. Yeah, I think the interesting part is like, you know, in, in most stadiums you have, let's say, anywhere between 40,000 and 60,000 people. And you don't know these people right. on a personal basis, right. but these chants travel right. because because they're popular songs, everybody already knows the tune. All they got to do is learn the words, which if you already know the tune, the words are easy, right. you know? And so I think it's just probably a very easy and, and interesting way to to really get people behind each other and be like, all right, let's make a chant. And, and you know, you have some of the most famous songs being being used. Like, you have songs by the Beach Boys and Elvis and, you know, even, like, the White Stripes, like Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes gets used uh, in chants as well. Right. And it's interesting that in England, you have several clubs and clubs across the board who all use the same songs as their chants. And so it's really interesting to see how these very popular songs make it from yeah you know you have let's say uh for example you might have manchester united using that joy division song to talk about gigs but you also have another club in the second division right. using the same song which is a different player Completely different words different yeah. words but it's just the same metal me- me- melody medley medley i don't know melody and so it's just it's really cool how it just like transcends outside of just like this popular cultural thing and it really impacts soccer as well oh yeah i i to me chant chanting and musics in stadium is one of the most amazing things because you don't really see it in any other sport right uh, think about american sports or maybe some even other sports where the sounds that are being produced are all sounds that are being produced by the the stadium right so they'll be playing uh the clapping noise i think about in basketball they play the like the clapping noise or they'll be fabricating horns and things like that whereas in in soccer it's almost unlike any other sport where the sounds and atmosphere is being built completely completely by the fans it's almost shunned upon to hear music being played like during a match whereas in other sports other sports you hear i mean uh, i was watching um what playoff series was i don't even remember but they were playing rap songs when the the team was was attacking like that that doesn't make any sense right to me where like fans should be the ones creating that energy yeah, it shouldn't come down from ownership to be like, all right, so we're going to play, yeah. uh, what, what, what's that new, I don't know, what's the new chance to wrap this song? Let's throw that in the right, stadium. Like, right, no, you right. have to allow the fans to create that atmosphere. Right. And I think that in soccer, it, it plays, chanting and singing is such a huge part of, of the atmosphere. And people talk about how intimidating it is when you walk into a stadium and you have, you know, 70,000 people just right. chanting and yelling oh my at gosh, you. yeah. And it's not just, you know, yelling that's unorganized. The best part about chanting and music in stadiums right. is that it's organized. Right. It's 70,000 like, uh, voices at once right. singing one song or, right. or st- things along those lines. Where, you know, I've been to Patriots games. I've been to many, many Celtics games. Yeah. And no, there's no camaraderie yeah. within fans at, at, those, at those things. Like I say, it every, pretty much, I'm pretty sure this is my mantra every week, you know, in America, we don't experience sports. Yeah. It's a spectacle for us. It's like yeah. the same thing as sitting at home watching TV. Right. You know, you don't live through these events. Versus if you go, to, if you watch, you go to a live soccer game, it's very different. Yeah. You're part of the experience, which I think is what sets it apart. Yeah. And so for music to play such a huge role in that, 
like it, it still hits on all the same notes as we were when we were talking about the World Cup songs. It's emotional. It brings up memories. It brings up you know, and a lot of times these songs are 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 used to commemorate great players for your club. Yeah. You know, to this day, Manchester United so- Man- Manchester United supporters still sing about Cristiano Ronaldo right. despite the fact that he's yeah. won. You Eric know, Eric Cantona, like Eric these Cantona, guys like Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, yeah. Roy Keane. You yeah. know, you have. But you become legends through song, and right. that's I think that's more of a human element because right. that's happened with so many other things. Like right. people get mem- like memorializing songs for other things, and now you have these sports icons being right. forever remembered because of these songs. Yeah, I think it's super interesting that you bring up the Celtics because it's a it really brings up a, a stark contrast between um, music and these different sports. And the Celtics are seen, especially now during these playoff series, you're seeing like Philadelphia players came off um, for anyone that doesn't follow basketball Celtics beat uh, Philadelphia in a playoff series it came out and said oh s- the Boston is one of the hardest places to play in because the fans make it so loud and hard to hard to really listen as a fan watching from TV it might be exciting when you're in the stadium but I can't hear I mean I hear a little bit but it doesn't it's not that constant action this is coming from someone who's been to a, a rivalry game in Brazil between Atlético and Cruzeiro you feel that, right? Yeah. That's music being sung throughout the entire game. That's scary. I mean, if those these basketball players were to play on uh, play in that stadium and see what that's really like, it's completely. It's almost a completely different mindset, right? So it's super interesting f- to me to see that, like the the Celtics are seen as one of the more aggressive fan bases for what they do, but the, f- the Celtics chants are like just like "f you," blah, blah blah. It's not song. It's not these things that are coming into really d- directly kind of either praising a player or, or hating on a player. Yeah, I think that out of all of the NBA supporters, the Celtics are by far the best. Like yeah. I've been to games where the entire Garden has like right. chanted at a single yeah. player, but. They are one out of 30, right. like 28 teams right. in the NBA. That and how many like of those other loud teams are loud just because the Jumbotron is telling them to be? Yeah, right? that's it's a completely, you don't never see that in, in, in soccer, whether that be in England or Brazil or wherever it may be. Fans don't need that. No, it's, they, it's, say, it's a they come in, they culture. sing, they do their thing. You know, right. it's, it's, it's very interesting. One thing I find amazing, too, is that the songs don't only have to be when your team is doing well, either. I mean, how many funny songs do you have? Like, our team is fucking shit, blah, 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 kind of making fun at their own their own situations, whether they're playing well or not. Um, the fans can express emotions and express how they're feeling about their, their clubs through song. Well, one of my absolute favorite chants was during, it, I think it was like Leicester versus Liverpool, several, several years back, and like Leicester were losing 4-1. to one. And the entire Leicester support is now singing, we're going to win 5-4. We're going <laughs> to win 5-4. And, like, I don't know, there's 15 minutes left yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I think that it's such a big contrast to to American sports. If your team's losing in American sports, you're quiet. The stadium's yeah. quiet. No one's uh, chanting. No one's doing anything. Yeah. And so, uh, yet, the difference is that what people don't realize is that the impact that fans have on the actual players is immense. Yeah. You feed off the energy. Yeah. You feed off the crowd. So, if you have a club that when they're losing get no support yeah then clearly they're gonna lose they, yeah. they have nothing to play for yeah. but if you have a team or a, a, you have a team on the pitch and your entire stadium is singing for you even when you're losing yeah that makes a big difference yeah absolutely and like i said it always comes back to the emotional response out of music and song and coming together and chanting and i think that that's something that is very very unique to soccer because even and I don't want to say it's just an American sports thing because even in say like tennis, you know, tennis is super popular across the world. Y- no one's chanting or yelling yeah. in a tennis match. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Oh, well, it's frowned upon. Yeah. To make any noise, I think it's like one of those golf things where I you can only you can only like clap when they're like uh, when there's a good play. Yeah. But in between sets, I don't know if they're even allowed to. Might get kicked out of uh, 
like <laughs> get kicked out. Might yeah. not be the best best comparison, but you know, it, it, I just wanted to it, like you know show how unique yeah. it is to soccer, how how much of a role music yeah. and, and chanting does my play. My question to you is: Do you think that that same culture is creeping into the U.S. and in, in the MLS and in kind of fan culture here? I think so. I think that you see in the MLS a lot of of you know a lot of people do bash it because a lot of people think that they're just trying to be you know copies of Europe, and yeah. you do have some people who like. I remember reading articles of people uh, of people like chanting with like fake English accents. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, dude, you don't have to just yeah, yeah. bite what these yeah. people in the Premier League do. Yeah. Like, there are so many other other uh, countries in the world with soccer teams that yeah. do the same thing. Like, right. when we talk about like we're using the English Premier League as an example because you know we all know American songs and English right. songs. It's easier for us to talk about. But you know, anywhere in the world, they do the same thing. Right. You know, clubs in Brazil do the same thing. Clubs in across the world, right. they do the same thing. They'll come together. They'll sing songs. They have chants. It's not unique to just England. Yeah. So I think that in America, what we need to do as a soccer fan base here is be original. Let's yeah. We have so we have the some of the best music coming out of America. Yeah. Why oh, not absolutely. take some of these rap songs that yeah. are like super popular? Let's adapt them to right. the MLS. Like and there are beats that could very easily can be made into chants you know, oh yeah. a lot of times. So. Or you know what I'd love to see too? Like an EDM-inspired yeah. chant, right? Absolutely. Like you have these like amazing songs yeah. by like Tiesto, Marshmallow, yeah. whoever it is. But like, let's adapt that yeah. to the MLS. Like, we yeah. don't have to be a ripoff uh, of absolutely. the Premier League. Yeah, you know, I think you have really great fan bases, and, and even calling back to Cincinnati, like they have a phenomenal fan base. What I think is missing is we need to take initiative and be like, all right, let's make something American. Like, let's yeah. grab American songs, adapt them to our clubs, send out. WhatsApp messages, Facebook messages, yeah. Facebook group messages, get everybody on board and do it. I know that some clubs do. I know Portland Timber supporters sing all the time yeah. uh, and, and Seattle supporters sing pl- pretty often. I think the only issue is is that it's, for a lot of people anyway, it doesn't feel authentic yeah. because it's like, all right, you're taking chants that yeah. you heard in England and you're trying to adapt yeah. it with these, you know, maybe it's not that way anymore. Yeah. But a lot of times it's people have complained about like, well, why are we trying to adapt just like this faux English Yeah. Yeah, make it American. Make I mean, it American. accept accept what we are um, and where the league's at, and, and kind of just do do your thing. I think that a lot of times too, um, Americans get bashed for their chance from outside world. I think that just let it be. I mean, play, do what you want to do. Make the chance you want a chance. Make it American, and don't worry about what the world's going to say. And I mean, if w- if Americans like it, then Americans like it. That's that's what they have to really care about. So here's one that I think is funny. I actually really like the I believe that we yeah, will win chant because yeah. it gets me hyped. Yeah, but yeah. like people bash on it constantly. Yeah. They're like, oh, really? That's the, mo- that's the most original thing you can come yeah. up with. But like, I like it. I think so too. I think the first couple of times I heard it, I was like, damn, this is taking a while to build up. But once it builds up, it's like, damn, this is intense. Yeah. Like this is this really is pretty cool. I think you, a lot of times with chants too, you have to experience them live. Yeah, yeah, it's a totally different thing to hear it on TV versus being in the crowd and experiencing kind of that euphoria that everyone else is experiencing. Yeah. So I think that if you haven't gone out to watch an international match or watch your local MLS club or local club that may have chance, go and see and experience that firsthand before you kind of bash it because the feeling of, of it live is completely different than, than being at your TV and be like, this song sucks, it's not really good. So I, I think that people should kind of get that firsthand experience. And the thing about the uh, the U.S. with music too is that every part of the U.S. has I, I like iconic musical styles, right. right? So let's pretend, or for example, in Nashville, I would love to see them adapt country music for yeah. their chants, for their songs, yeah. have country music playing before Bring games. Bring the yodel games. kid there. 
Bring the Yodeling <laughs> kid. Let's get the Yodeling kid involved with the Nashville Soccer Club. You know what I mean? Versus you also have, like, uh, for Atlanta. Yeah. Atlanta has this, this f- like, you know, amazing base of hip-hop. You have, yeah. you know, Outkast. And, all yeah. you know, if, if you l- he listen back to, like, our Atlanta episode, all of these amazing artists that came out of Atlanta, yeah. let's adapt their songs to chants. Like, let's yeah. take some of their most popular songs and make them chants. Yeah. You know what I mean? Be locally ingrained with the culture. You know, you have, uh, I don't know, like, you know, I- if you're up from Seattle or Portland area, you know, grunge rock yeah. in the 90s was huge. Yeah. Why not adapt some Nirvana songs yeah. to be chants mm-hmm. in your, in your, for your club? Absolutely. Like, be authentic. Be, be who we are. Yeah, I'd love to hear a country chant. That would be amazing. Like, I don't like, know how it would work. I yeah, I wonder what. <laughs> yeah, that, that, but that, but yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, so much of our our nation's regions are so completely different when it comes to music and what they're producing. It would be so cool to see these different um, regions come up with different chants, different beats, different melodies that are com- not unlike anything we've ever heard in, um, anywhere else. So that, I mean, we'll see. Hopefully. Well, I think about it this way is that, like, you know, country music is so iconic to Nashville. Like, if you think country music, you're going to think, okay, Nashville. Yeah. Like, that's, like, right. it, like it's such an integral part of who they are as a people that, like, if you're going to have a soccer club that its name yeah. is Nashville Soccer Club and you're representing Nashville, yeah. if you don't have country yeah. music, you messed yeah. up. Like, you're already losing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, especially, like, because you're, s- like, it's so ingrained in that area's yeah. culture. Like, let it seep in. Absolutely. Let it be part of your club. Yeah. And so, what what do you think about? I know some clubs, um, and this has been more in, in Europe, have started implementing like song sheets for fans. Are you behind that? Like, if that were to come into the MLS, like maybe fans are don't want to take the first step, or they they don't understand the culture yet for the sport. Maybe Nashville fans aren't aren't really behind that yet. Are you behind the the team promoting these songs, even if it is forced, like not forced upon, but it is kind of team promoted? Or do you think that it should just be completely fan fan driven, like fan come up with, if they don't come up with a song for the next two years, then don't force it on them. So I I'm along the lines of I don't like that. I don't think a club should be the one to to not necessarily dictate but but guide yeah. this aspect i think that what portland does with their supporters group in other words the portland timbers allow the supporters groups to basically do whatever they want timbers yeah. army is allowed to they have a very free range of yeah. the majority of the things that they do yeah you know what i mean with the tifos they have some that are a little bit more on the risky, risky side yeah. of course the mls doesn't might not show that on yeah. tv but the atmosphere at the stadium is different right. you know you're there and the Timbers Army is given pretty free reign. What yeah. I would love to see in an ideal world would be uh, groups like the Timbers Army should be the ones leading this charge mm-hmm. because they're the ones on the ground. They're yeah. the fans. They're the ones interacting with people on a yeah. day-to-day basis. I think that if the Timbers Army were to create a song sheet and send it out via WhatsApp, yeah. send it out via Facebook group message, whatever it is, that's different than the Portland Timbers being like, oh, let, these are the songs we want you right. to sing. Or, you know, because a lot of times it can be a little censored. Like, you have these clubs who are trying to cater to the yeah. biggest population. Right. So they're going to be like, oh, we're not going to swear Let's make this kid, songs. kid friendly. Let's make yeah. it kid friendly, family friendly. Right. And it's like, you can't really, you can't dictate that. Yeah. And so I, for example, Manchester United does it. Then they send out some song sheets every once in a while. And I don't like that. I oh, yeah. That. I think um, fans don't like, normal fans don't like that. Like, the no. ones that are actually from the area really hate it. Outside fans may not really understand the, the like cultural connotations behind it. But I know that, like, the real reds, as we'll call them, uh, do not like team like the song sheets at all. Right. But you know what it is? I think that a lot of these bigger clubs they are in such areas that they become tourist attractions in right. of themselves. They ha- yeah, that's it. And that's become that commercialization, marketing, make it all f- family friendly, which, okay, can have a role, but 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm on the same page where I don't think that they should be. I think everything should be fan-driven. Um, fans are more creative than the the guys that are working on these PG-13 or PG versions of, of Chance. So, yeah, I think that um, we should st- stay away from uh, the organizations running it, kind of p- playing these songs. I think that even on a bigger scale, I think that, you know, you clubs shouldn't dictate to fans because without fans, you don't have a club. Like, you can... In, in America, it's very different where a franchise is put in place and the league controls a lot of things and the fans are seen as customers versus in reality, though, all of sports, without fans, there is no sport. Right. If no one shows up to watch the game, right. no one you're not going to be able to pay your right. players, you're not going to be able to pay the staff. So when you realize that fan culture is very – it has to be driven by the fans and it can't be cultivated v- via ownership because you have to realize that without fans you don't have a you don't have anything yeah and so by trying to tighten the leash and trying to get them to do what you want it just doesn't work yeah you have to let them be who they are let them express themselves who they are with their cultural uh, everything that that is them should be your club there's a reason that clubs are named after cities right because it's for those people yeah you know what i mean manchester united originally was for the people of manchester yeah uh, you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it seems a little <laughs> self-explanatory yeah. but it's yeah. it's true absolutely and so, I don't know. I think that I would, like I said, I would love to see a lot more fan-driven singing and chanting in the MLS. Mm-hmm. Not that there isn't now, but I think we need to take a step into what is iconic for our region, what's iconic for our city, how can we integrate that with yeah. our chants, how can we integrate that with our TIFOs, our displays, our everything right. should be culturally significant. Yeah. Amen to that. I mean, I think I have I have nothing else to add on to that. I, I agree completely. Probably a good spot to stop as yeah, well. Absolutely. Well, alrighty then. Well, there you have it, guys. Another amazing episode of Culture FC in the books. We really hope you enjoyed this one. It was really interesting to get to dive into not only World Cup songs, but also anthems and how chants and anthems really play a role into the experience you can have watching, whether on TV or in the stands. If you're in an MLS supporters group out there, Let's get some more original American songs and chants out, guys. Let's uh, let's come together, make some more culturally relevant songs. I think that's enough, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next week.